This morning, we're continuing a, a new sermon series, uh, and we're looking at some of the key uh, themes in the book of Proverbs uh, under the title Wisdom uh, for Life. Uh, and if we want to live the kind of life that Jesus wants for all of us, life in all its fullness, then we need to work out how to be wise. We need to know how to make the right decisions in the majority of life situations that we face where there is no obvious right or wrong. So wisdom isn't less than morality about knowing what's right or wrong, but it's more than that. So for, for instance, you know, when King Solomon asked for wisdom to lead his people, you know, God didn't say, don't worry about it, you've got, you know, you've got the Ten Commandments, just live by those. Actually, he, we need wisdom to know how to live right and to make decisions where actually the, the Ten Commandments, the, 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 the morals that we have don't actually um, uh, are that clear. There's no obvious right or wrong, which means we need to deal with the real nitty-gritty of life where the rubber hits the road. And today, we're going to be looking at the theme of anger. Anger. If we're going to learn how to live life well, we are going to have to learn how to handle anger. Now, as with almost every single talk that I share, I speak to myself first. And I recognize that I am a work in progress uh, and that many of you here may be uh, much further along the journey of handling anger well. And so I come today not as an expert, but as a fellow pilgrim with you, looking to learn to apply these lessons to my life as well as to all of our lives uh, and recognizing the complexities of life and the challenges that we each face. But we come back to that same question, how can I, how can you handle anger well? And to do this, we're going to look at just a few Proverbs. Again, Proverbs is full of wisdom about how to handle anger well. But we're going to uh, open our Bibles to page 648, and we're going to pick just a few from chapters 14 to 16. 648. So I'm going to give you a bit of time to find 648. And so beginning at verse 29, 29 to 30, chapter 14, 29 to 30. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Chapter 15, verse 1 now, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Moving forward to verse 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one who is patient calms a quarrel. And let's turn over a page to chapter 16, verse 32. And this is a great proverb. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. So, 
Like the themes of sex and sexual temptation, a topic that we're going to be looking at next week, uh, the theme of anger that we're looking at today is really relevant to 21st century maidenhead and each of our lives. You know, it is addressed in Scripture. Scripture doesn't shy away from these real nitty-gritty topics in our lives. Uh, and it is often uh, 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 addressed in Scripture very clearly. But actually, if you go to the average church on Sunday morning, you won't hear much about it. Probably because it's quite a, a complex uh, a topic, but we don't shy away from these things because anger is something that affects a lot of people's lives and a lot of relationships and yet often remain hidden. And as of such, we can think that maybe we are the only people dealing with this. We're the only people dealing with arguments in our household. And, and we don't know where to seek help. And we don't know where to look for strategies for dealing with it. However, anger left untamed and uncontrolled can be hugely destructive to our lives. And our Proverbs highlight some of the consequences of anger. Let's re run through three of them. Number one, it destroys our health. In uh, verse 30, chapter 14, verse 30, it says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body. A heart at peace gives life to the body. And so contrary, uh, a life full of anger destroys our health. And we, we probably all know of the damaging effects of anxiety and depression can have on our health. However, anger is widely recognized as the most destructive emotion to someone's physical health. So uh, this week I was reading a New York Times article uh, titled, How Anger Affects the body, and it talks about all the different ways, all the different parts of our life uh, and body that the anger affects. I'm just going to pick them on a couple of these. So, for instance, uh, Dr. Wittstein is an expert in cardiomyopathy, and he explained how anger affects the heart, the fact that it affects the arteries that supplies the blood to the heart, it affects the electrical system that tells the heart when to beat, and it actually even affects the heart muscle itself. Also in this article, explained uh, how heart affects the gut, the digestive system. Another doctor, this time Dr. Ertinger, an expert in internal organs and systems, what we would call in this country a sort of a gastro doctor, uh, explains that anger can trigger gastro, in, in, gastro yeah, discomfort, yeah, malabsorption of food, and loss of appetite. And so anger destroys our health, and the article goes on to different ways in which it does that. Secondly, anger destroys our relationships. Now, before uh, speaking on this complex topic, um, and uh, you know, I thought I'd basically go and ask a, a counsellor I know just to see how widespread this issue is. Because as I said, lots of us just think that you know, maybe it's just our home, our family, our relationships. And I, and I said, look, how prevalent is this theme of anger? Um, and, and, they, and, uh, and I also just wanted to test to make sure you know, the things that I'm saying on a, Sunday, on a Sunday morning is you know, the best sort of clinical practice that we, we, we can see. And, and they said that it is hugely prevalent. Anger destroys huge amounts of relationships and wound, uh, words can wound. And we know that, don't we? It says in chapter 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. 
Anger, thirdly, destroys our ability to make wise decisions. And this series, this, this series is all about making wise decisions so that we can live the life that God wants for us. But anger destroys our ability to act wisely. Chapter 14, verse 29, the other proverb that we read. One who is quick-tempered displays folly. One who is quick to anger is a fool. In the same New York Times article, uh, this time Dr. Royce Lee, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral neuroscience at the University of Chicago, uh, explains some of the physical reasons why anger leads to bad decision-making. It says this, In this agitated state, we're less likely to make good judgments, to listen for certain information, and to be attuned to other motivations that are important to humans, like values. You see, if we're consumed with anger, we lose the ability to think, speak, and act rationally. And therefore, we can often make decisions that we regret later. And this is the destructive power of anger. And this is why all of us need to learn how to handle anger well. And there are two extremes for dealing with anger. And by the word of the use extreme, you can probably, uh, you probably guess that neither are particularly helpful. The first is to give full vent, to blow your top, to give full vent to your anger. And so some years ago, um, this was seen as a, as a sense of option. And, and uh, for instance, young people were given pillows to scream into or um, uh, uh, cushions in order to punch, to get out their anger, to fully vent their anger. However, whilst this sort of relieved the immediate short-term physical symptoms of anger, what, what, it, what, it, what it basically led to is that it never actually dealt with the root cause of their anger. And then when that young person grew up, well, they'd learned patterns of giving full vent to their anger. And instead of hitting cushions, they'd be hitting other things and other people. And so giving full vent to anger is, is not the way to live wisely. And in Proverbs 29, verse 11, it says this, a fool gives full vent to his anger, a fool. The other extreme of dealing with anger is to suppress it, to, to either push it down or to distance yourself from that emotion or distance yourself from that person or situation that you're angry with. Now, uh, this counsellor that I spoke uh, to earlier this week said actually how destructive this approach of distancing yourself from your emotions can be. And she says that the most common poem that she uses, the most common technique that she uses with her clients is that she reads to them a poem by Rumi uh, uh, called The Guest House. And in this poem, each emotion that we feel each and every day is welcomed into the guest house. They're only a guest. They don't stay there. They're welcomed. They're acknowledged rather than being rejected and being locked away. And we need to recognize anger when it arises. And we need to seek to learn from it. We need to ask ourselves the question, what is this emotion telling me about myself? This is because anger in itself 
is not a bad thing. Often, now I need to qualify this, it's quite a lot of qualification, often the manifestation of anger, what we do with our emotions, can be hugely destructive and sinful. But anger, the emotion itself, actually is a characteristic of God. And if it's a characteristic of God, it can't be sinful. And I want to be clear that I am not whitewashing anger. 99.9% of anger in my life is not godly. It is destructive and it is sinful. Uh, And uncontrolled anger or, or malice, which we read of in the Bible, is sin. It's sin. Malice is seen as one of the seven deadly sins. But anger is a characteristic of God. And when we understand this, if we understand this, then we can understand, we have a better chance of processing our own anger in much more positive ways. Because as we've already seen, anger is destructive. And it's meant to be destructive. Anger is meant to be destructive. You see, anger in its purest form, in the form that it's found in God himself, is love in motion towards something that is threatening something that you love. If you love something or someone, and that something or someone is being threatened by something, then true love moves in anger towards that thing that is seeking to harm the thing that you love. So if you say to me, well, you know, I don't believe in a God of anger. I believe in a God of love. Well, you can't really have a God of love unless he's also a God of anger. Because anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love and the final and most awful form of hate is indifference. You know, I see this in myself. I see this indifference within myself. For example, uh, when uh, uh, the joys of raising children, um, uh, when they come to me and, uh, uh, and they question why they shouldn't be doing this or that thing which I consider harmful to them, um, and, and they say to me, oh, you know, all my friends are doing it, every one of my friends are doing it, I, I, I have to just to tell the truth. I have to say to them, well, you know, I don't love your friends as much as I love you. And even if it was my place to challenge those other, other children, which it isn't, I, I am much more concerned with what my children are doing rather than their friends because I love them more. Now, I know I'm meant to love my neighbor you know, as ourselves and we should love all children everywhere, but, but this indifference that I have towards other children, yeah, and yet this, this anger and this protectiveness that I have towards my children is a symptom of how much I love those closest to me. And if something or someone was trying to harm my children, I wouldn't be indifferent. I would move, uh, move towards them in anger because anger isn't the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite of love. And that is why one of the most common descriptions of God in the Bible is this. Slow to anger and abounding in love. 
Because those two themes come together, anger and love. Because a God who is never angry doesn't love anything and doesn't love anyone. Because if you love something and the thing you love is threatened, then you get angry. And that is why God is angry towards sin. Because it threatens us. It threatens the things that we love. And, and, and now what I want to say is most of the times that I get angry... You know, it is not out of pure motives. It's not the kind of anger that God has. You know, uh, I'm not painting myself out to be a saint. Far from it. What I'm saying is this understanding of anger helps us to discover the root and the true cause of our anger. You know, so I want you now to think for a moment about what makes you angry the most. What really gets your blood boiling? What gets you angry the most? And then ask yourself this question. What am I defending? What am I defending? Because the answer will give you an insight into what you love the most. For example, you know, a big change happens at work, um, and it isn't communicated well, and it you know, gets you back up, you know, it really gets you angry. You know, what is the love that is being threatened here. Well, perhaps it's, it's a noble love. Perhaps you have a passion for organizational effectiveness, and you know that the organization is suffering because of poor communication, or you know that there's a piece of information that only you know that if you'd had a chance to share it, it would have really helped the organization move forward. Perhaps it is your love of the organization that is causing you to feel angry. Or perhaps you simply feel that you should have been consulted. And that perhaps now you're feeling that it's, you know, it's your voice that isn't valued within this organization. And perhaps you just feel, well, basically, I should be in the know. Perhaps in that case, it's your ego that is being not. And this is the thing that is being threatened. And this is why you're angry. Take another common cause of arguments in household, financial decisions. When your spouse makes a financial decision without consulting you, what is it that's really underneath that? What is really being threatened? Perhaps it is a reckless decision, and it's putting the livelihood of your family at risk. Or perhaps it's a value of where you think money should be spent and where money shouldn't be spent. Or perhaps it's a deeply held belief about communication. Or perhaps it's a, it's a held belief about who should handle finance within relationships. Because what we need to understand is the real issue underneath the issue that we're arguing about. The real presenting, not, not the presenting issue, the real issue. And if we understand what the real issue is, we have a better chance of handling our anger better. Because to understand our anger, we've got a much more better chance of handling it. So what is the thing that we love that is being threatened? When you find yourself in a rage, clobbering everything around you, ask yourself that question. What is it that I'm willing to take a bat out to, to defend? What is it that, that's really being threatened here in my life? The early church father... Uh, an Archbishop of Constantinople, uh, John uh, Christostom, uh, summed up anger 
really well, I think, when he wrote the following. He said this, he who is angry without cause sins. And he who is not angry when there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is a hotbed for many vices. So he who is angry without cause, without just cause, sins. And so we need to analyze and process what is it really that's causing us to be angry and to consider whether this is a just cause. And if it's not a just cause, then it's us that's in the wrong and it's us that's sinning and we need to deal with this. So when I get angry, and really it's just my ego that's dented because I think, you know, you know, this is how I should be treated, then this is sin. Or when I get angry because the driver in front of me is driving 10 miles per hour and I'm running late for something and I don't want my reputation to be tarnished, it's a sin. And so we need to take time to uncover what is really being threatened and to ask ourselves whether this is a godly reason to be angry or not. Ask yourself, would Jesus be angry about this? Because I think in my life, there are are loads of things that Jesus wouldn't get angry about. And there's also loads of things that Jesus would get angry about that I don't get angry about. You know, there are things that, that, that I see and hear about on the news that should waken my soul to anger. And instead, I respond with indifference. And this, too, is sin. Because he who's angry without just cause sins, and he who is not angry when there is cause also sins. And to be honest... You know, I'm definitely still working on the first part, let alone the second part, because I recognize that there are things that I get angry about, and in the moment, I feel absolutely justified that this is a real reason to get angry about it. But when I take time, maybe after the event, to dig beneath the surface and to ask myself the difficult question of what am I really defending, I often realize that I've got a huge amount of work to do in my own life. And yes, to be honest, a lot of the time, there are mixed motives. There is something within me that is angry about something noble, but in it, mixed in there, is something not so noble, something self-serving, something other than loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving my neighbor as myself. And so how do we handle anger? Well, the key is to discover what it is we're really angry about. Not the thing that you happen to be arguing about in the moment, but the thing that you love that is being threatened. And often it can be ourselves. You know, a healthy self-esteem can be distorted into an unhealthy self-centeredness. A healthy uh, uh, respect for boundaries can be distorted into an unhealthy preoccupation with our own welfare. A healthy belief in our, trin- in our intrinsic value as a child of God can be distorted into an unhealthy sense of entitlement. And if it's not ourselves, our own egos that are being, effect- that are being offended, it is often an idol that we put at the center of our universe that's being uh, threatened. Uh, And and it's that idol, that thing that we love more than God, 
that, that is being threatened. So what is it that's being threatened? What is it that you love the most? Is it your family, or should I say, is it not your love for your family, but what your family gives you? You know, do you look to them? Do you look to them to give you what only really God can give, to affirm you in the ways that only God can affirm you? Does the love of your family mean more to you than the love of God? Because as I've said in the past, if you do that, you will crush them with your expectations and they will break your heart. Or is it money or possessions that you're getting angry about? Or is it power or status that's being threatened? What is the idol at the center of your life that is being threatened that you're willing to clobber other things or other people about? What has taken place, what has taken the place of God at the center of your universe? Have you either placed yourself there or have you placed another idol there? So how do we handle anger? We want to avoid the two extremes of no anger, of distancing ourselves from our emotions, of suppressing our emotions, and we also want to avoid the other extreme of fully venting our anger. Only a fool gives full vent to their anger. Instead, we want to model our lives on the character of God who is slow to anger. Not no anger, not blow anger, but slow anger. And there's a whole more that I could, uh, I could say about this, but, but I just want to give you a, a sort of nutshell. Is not only do we need to realize, is it the thing that I'm angry about worth getting angry about? Would Jesus get angry about this, or is it my own ego, or is it, is it an idol that I'm getting angry about? And even if it is something noble, then we need to make sure that we surgically strike it. Often when we get angry, we, we sort of like go in, guns and blazing. We don't care about the collateral damage. We just, you know, slash and burn everything. But true anger is, is, is love in motion towards the thing that is threatening. And often we, we, we see this thing that is threatening something we love and, and we go towards it in anger, but we destroy everything around it and we cause so much collateral damage. But actually we are called to do a surgical strike on the thing that is threatening the thing that you love. Which brings us back to the Proverbs that we opened with. But this time, let me read to you the ESV version. The NIV version sort of um, uh, is a little bit easier to understand. That's why we use it in, in the church. But the ESV version is a translation which is sometimes a little bit more clunky to understand, but actually it's closer to the real meaning word by word. And this is what the ESV version says of these two proverbs. Our opening proverb, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. That's what that word means. Not whoever has great patience. Whoever is like God, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. And our closing proverb, 16 verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Friends, may we be a people who take this proverb and live it out. Like many of you, I am a work in progress, but let us resolve to keep moving towards Jesus and by the grace of God and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, because we need the Holy Spirit 
because the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of them is patience and one of them is self-control, and we need both of these for anger. By the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, may our lives reflect that of Proverbs 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes his city. Let us pray. Shall we stand?